0: To Chuck, thanks for being on the show today. And we're gonna be discussing venture capital and what better person to have on the, the show than you because you have a lot of experience in this industry, first hand experience. So I'm excited to have you on. So I want to start off by first asking you what is venture capital and how is venture capital different from private equity, leverage buyouts, hedge funds, so on and so forth.
1: Sure. Well, I'm going to talk. First of all, there are two types of institutional or venture capital. The first is institutional. And by that, I mean, there are partnerships which raise money from investors on a long term basis to invest in very early stage, mostly startup or first or second round of financing companies. They are basically accompanied often, uh, but also by angels. And angels are usually entrepreneurs who've made a great deal of money building an enterprise and want to go on financing other people like themselves. NEA, my venture firm, we've started firms in the basement of our building. And so we have been the first round. Uh, Sometimes the angels come in first, other times they don't. Uh, In my experience, most of the time, the venture capitalists were the first money in.
0: Who are these venture capitalists and and what do you need to actually start a venture capital firm? Can you talk a little bit about who are the people behind these venture capitalist firms?
1: Well, first of all, let me say it's a very small business uh, compared to other businesses other forms of private equity. Maybe there are six or 700 firms that count institutional firms in the United States. And they're made up by people for the most part who come from a wide variety of backgrounds. But um, increasingly, they are people who come from, who have, uh, you know, like in the healthcare field, they'll be MDs or PhDs. With business backgrounds and a lot of work experience in the technology field, they usually have technology degrees, uh, like in computer science or uh, something like that. <clears throat> now, there are also people who are generalists like me. I was an English major who got into the venture capital business because. Um, I wanted to be in it because I learned about it because my father was a venture capitalist. And so I grew up around entrepreneurial company. So they are really not a whole lot of jobs in the venture capital business. Set. So let's say, uh, I don't know, 20,000, 30,000. And that compares to uh, uh, leveraged buyout firms a former, another form of private equity and hedge funds.
0: So it's a pretty su- small subset, um, and so what you're saying basically is, venture capital firms focus more on early stage businesses or startups, versus um, private equity firms or leverage buyouts, where they're they're buying more established companies with uh, cash flow. Well, let cash let
1: flow. me uh, go into leverage buyouts. Basically, in a leverage buyout. Historically, and I go back to the very start of that business, leverage buyouts are where you have people with financial backgrounds and they'll go into established businesses and sell off divisions that aren't making money or sell off lines of business that don't fit strategically or sell off uh, assets uh, like buildings the company owns and then focusing the business. And expanding it. And your time horizon when you invest in a leverage buyout is three to five years with more emphasis on the three years. Okay. Hedge funds are an entirely different type of thing. And most hedge funds are based on mathematics. Now, a hedge fund for program trading only holds a company's securities for 16 seconds. And they will sort it or go long. uh, And uh, they'll have a variety, they tend to attack people with very strong mathematical and statistical basis. And uh, it's a lot of trading. Now, there are a few only long only hedge funds but the vast majority or as I've described them. Got and it, okay. So there are three totally different activities. All yeah, it all under it. one word or two words called private equity.
0: Okay, so private equity is really the, the general term that describes these leveraged buyouts and hedge funds and, and venture capital. And venture capital is just a subset of private equity. Correct. Okay, so you talked about the, the time horizon Leverage buyouts being three to five years, what's the time horizon for venture capital?
1: I'd say uh, it depends whether you're an early stage or late stage venture capitalist. When you go in at the startup or seed round, or whether you go in at uh, let's say the third round of private financing just before um, NEA was the largest uh, early stage venture capital firm in the world. That was the one I started with two other partners. And um, our time horizon was 10 years. Okay. In a bull market, you could uh, achieve liquidity in three to five years. But when the economic conditions got tough, you might have to wait 10 years before you could either, the way you achieve that liquidity was to go public or to uh, sell the company to a larger corporation that was public or paid you cash. Okay.
0: Now, the failure rate's got to be pretty high for these um, early stage, late stage, stage businesses compared to leveraged buyouts that have maybe a little bit more of a historical track record as a business. Um, so with that in mind, what types of returns do venture capitalists typically expect on their investments?
1: Well, one in 10, you hope to be what I call a super home run. Now, a home run might be 10 times, but uh, my partner, uh, Dick Kramlich uh, started uh, one company and made uh, 2,000 times or something. We invested 3 million and got 2 billion now. And three to five, uh, uh, let's say, uh, three of the companies, three of the 10, you'll make three to five times. Three of the companies, you will struggle to get some portion of your money back. And three of the companies, you may lose it all.
0: Let's take a quick break.
2: All right. I have to interrupt the show, but I'll be super quick. I have a question for you. Who are you working for? Chances are you're working for everyone else besides yourself. Think about it. You're working for shareholders by grinding away in someone else's company. You're working for a bank by paying interest. You're working for the government by paying taxes. You're working for social media companies by giving your attention to their paid advertisers. You're working for your friends by doing crap that you don't want to do. You're working for everyone else by not pursuing the most essential things you are destined to achieve. Look, I've been there. I'm still there at times. Ugh, it could be so frustrating. If you want to achieve financial freedom, the fastest way to do it is through business. Don't get tricked by get-rich-quick schemes. Don't be fooled that your 401k is going to build you wealth. Don't waste time by trying to piece business finance together. Check this out. Here's my invitation. Go to byfiq.com, which stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ. And check out our programs. We have one for every possible path you're on. Whether your goal is to become fluent in business finance, launch a profitable business, or scale a business successfully, we have a solution to help you. I promise you, your life will change when you take action. So, check out these opportunities that I've prepared for you. Now, back to the show.
0: So, really, it's about making these strategic bets and really having this high-performing um, investment, which covers the losses of the other um, businesses.
1: Well, to have uh, at least uh, four of your investments make good, good returns and one do exceptionally well of the 10. Now, uh, venture capitalists are intimately involved in the management of these companies.
0: Yeah, so that that's a great, yeah, let's talk more about that. So These venture capitalists, how do they get involved with the company?
1: Well, let me tell you a little story about my partner, Peter Barris, who came around uh, uh, out of General Electric's uh, computer service business. And uh, he was approached uh, by another venture firm that had a company in Washington that they thought uh, NEA would be interested in to do the first round of venture investing. It had been started by an entrepreneur who bootstrapped it and had gotten up to about a $3 million sales level, half of which was going to commercial customers or to, uh, and half of which was going to consulting. So Peter, this company was developing something called the internet and uh, (laughs) its name was UUNet. And um, Peter went in there and uh, the, the technology founder had a great deal of confidence in him. The other venture fund actually wanted Peter with his background to run the business. But Peter said no. And so he went to the General Electric and recruited a team, a CEO, a customer service guy, and a chief financial officer And they built this little company. The CEO's name was John Sigmore. And within a short period of time, that company controlled or provided 70% of the traffic over the internet. Wow. And uh, it was sold to another company and in turn sold to another one. Basically, that was how the internet came into existence.
0: That's interesting. That's really interesting. So, um, in in that particular situation, the venture capitalist, your partner, I mean, he was intimately involved in the business, like day to day. Let me let me it's...
1: extrapolate that on a bit bit more. So, uh, basically, Peter introduced them to the president and all the senior operating members of the company. He also went on to introduce them to some of the biggest customers. My partner, Dick Kramlik, had started a communications company uh, in California, and that company became the largest company customer of UUNet and basically provided the proof of concept which it was necessary for that company to sell to other larger customers.
0: All right. So not only do they have business operational expertise, but they they also bring their network with them. They can make introductions. Um, and I'll can- go even
1: further. The model um, for UUNet, the business model, came out of General Electric. And basically, General Electric had done a service like UUNet, providing the backbone for customers who use the Internet to communicate but over mainframe computers. So Peter basically suggested to the entrepreneur that UUNet uh, uh, go after uh, consumers as well as business customers, the biz- that the consumers would be the big market. and the business customers could use the internet capacity during the day and the, co- the internet individual customers could use it at night. And so he basically helped the entrepreneur to develop the strategy, which UNF followed to build his business. Hire the management, uh, bring in, develop the business strategy. And you also have to remember that there are very few people who can make the transition. First from starting a company where you maybe build up to a hundred employees, And you have a business that scales and you have a thousand. You have a business that really has succeeded. You have a hundred thousand and you really create a company that changes the world, which is what venture capital is all about. It's basically changing the world uh, the way the world is. And then you employ half a million uh, employees. And so you often have to uh, come to grips with getting them, founder CEO to step aside and bring in what is called professional management and that is often a very difficult and painful process
0: well yeah and, and that's what I was going to ask you is you know so you have these founders they they're passionate about their business they need capital they either get it from angels or they um, raise venture capital and then I imagine there's often or you know it's not too uncommon for disagreements to arise in vision and strategy in the business. So how does that work? You know, if if a venture capitalist says, hey, look, I put a bunch of money into the business. I think we need to go this direction. The founder says, no, I think we should go that direction. Um, how does that get resolved and, and who ultimately has to say?
1: Well, um, first of all, venture, venture capitalists seldom have majority control as opposed to leveraged buyouts. But what they do is they operate in syndicates that do have majority control. So a certain uh, extent, venture capitalists don't dictate to entrepreneurs. They are part of a board uh, that consists of other venture capitalists and usually industry experts that have been attracted by both the entrepreneur and the venture capitalist. And the board will make decisions and you know, when we would invest in a company, we would always sit down with the entrepreneurs. First of all, you're not investing with someone with a college degree that walks off the street. You're really, sure. in most instances, investing with someone who's been with a larger corporation, had a major responsibility, is giving up a big salary to start a company. Now, that changed when a lot of these internet companies like Facebook and Amazon started where you had entrepreneurs who didn't have that elaborate business experience. But for the most part, uh, you're dealing with pretty sophisticated business people. And so you talk through the issue. We had something called the management resignation box. And so... You'd say to the entrepreneur, this is your first business plan. You call for sales to go like this and for losses to increase for a while, and then you go into profitability. You miss that business plan, will probably give you a second or maybe even a third chance. But ultimately, they'll come to a point where the business, if it continues on, is in danger of failure. And that's when you have to step in and change the management and put the company in another direction. And um, I had to do that approximately 60 times in my career.
0: Yeah, Quite a bit, huh? You
1: that's know where I got my best recommendations from? The entrepreneurs who I succeeded in bringing in professional management where the companies succeeded and they gave me the best recommendations of anyone. That's interesting.
0: So what type of position does the venture capitalist take? I mean, are they're, they're putting cash into the business. Is that an equity investment? They're taking equity? Are they offering like a, a convertible? No, and it's more like in a form of debt that can convert to equity. Um, well, most often, I'm,
1: it's preferred. Everything you're doing is equity. They may call it debt, but it really is equity. Uh, structurally it's a preferred stock or a convertible preferred okay but what you're really saying is your uh the reason you structure it in that way is in the case you liquidate the business um you want to go switch your equity to a debt position so you can take preference if you're going to be losing all you know half your money in the company uh, you want the re- pr- remaining proceeds to go to you because it was a loss. That makes sense. So what type
0: of entity structure do venture capitalists prefer? Do they, they like LLCs, LLCs, taxes, partnerships, S-corps? Do they no, like, uh, uh, most venture like ca-
1: they, they don't go for all that fancy stuff. It's plain vanilla. Venture capital ships are limited partnerships where the general partners are the active investors. They invest in corporations uh, using preferred or convertible debt. And it's, uh, there's, they don't go into uh, a lot of these other financial structures because really what they're about, they're putting, whether it be in the form of debt or equity, they're putting their money at total risk of of loss. And um, what they're trying to do uh, is, you know, create extraordinary businesses. Um, Let me give you a quote from one of the greatest venture capitalists who's my friend, Jim Schwartz, who started Accel Ventures, who started a a number of very famous household names. And Jim says, venture capital has always been about helping a person or a project succeed. It is about adding judgment, a judgment, perspective, and a selfless desire uh, to see a company succeed. Venture capital is best practice as a calling. It is not a job. It is never about maximizing wealth. Venture capital must be practiced with absolute integrity and in ethics. I'll give you another quote from my partner and co-founder, Dick Kramlick, who said venture capital is about having the courage to put trust in others and the conviction to do the right thing, even when it is hard.
0: I love that. And I love how that ties into what you said earlier, where venture capital is. Uh, it, it's it's about changing the world. It's not about just earning these meager returns or, or trying to earn a buck here and there. It, it's really about building companies that that's going to change the world forever in some way.
1: Well, let me just talk about NEA a balloon angioplasty, the cloud, SaaS, the internet, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, for-profit medicine that took 60 or 70% out of total health care costs, um, uh, uh, you name it. Um, the world we know today was created by venture capitalists, because first of all, uh, it's not a new business. It goes back a long, long, long way. Um, Uh, Let me give you some examples where people were using risk capital, where, in essence, you'd put a person in like a board of directors. It goes back to the Phoenician trading voyages in 2000 BC, where a group of Phoenician investors would put someone on board a ship and send them to England and the man, the people who ran the ship would get twenty percent of the profits, and they'd get eighty percent. But they'd have someone watching the voyage, and the crew by the ship was uh, going along. And then you had exploration venture capital, which is what I call backing Christopher Columbus and Marco Polo, same sort of thing. And then around eighteen hundred, a group of merchants in Baltimore, merchant banks in England started funding things like the railroad, the China trade on the same type of basis. And then you have uh, whaling voyages, all of which were financed in the same way with the capital sort of getting 80% and the people who ran the boat getting 20%. In 1880, a guy by the name of Andrew Mellon Uh, who's, you know, the famous Mellon family of the Mellon Bank, put $200,000 in to start four companies, Gulf Oil, Carborundum, General Reinsurance, and Alcoa Aluminum. In 1902, an angel by the name of Lucius Ordway founded 3M, an angel by the name of Sherman Fairchild helped to start IBM. And a group of angels uh, working in a club in Rochester, New York, started George Eastman's Eastman Kodak, which created photography as we know it today. Bessemer Securities of the Phipps family. That was, he was a very wealthy partner, I think of Andrew Carnegie, started in 1911. My father went to Lawrence Rockefeller, who started his business as a part of the Rockefeller family effort in 1938. Lawrence started such companies as Eastern Airlines, McDonnell Douglas, Viacol, before he went on to help starting Apple and Intel. Warburg, Pincus and J.H. Whitney started by wealthy families in 1938. Then in 1946, this Frenchman, who'd been very important uh, in the Quartermaster Corps in World War II in the US, started a company called American Research and Development. And that gave birth to institutional venture capital, where a group of partners, highly experienced, would get together and then go talk to wealthy families, insurance funds, and eventually pension funds, who came to provide Billions of dollars to what is now called the institutional venture capital business. So it's an old, old business. No one has ever gone and studied it and put together the entire list of companies that were financed by venture capitalists or angels since the beginning of this country that I think it would be astounding. And no one in the political arena knows anything about what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. And I mean, how critical venture capital and how critical venture capital has been to uh, to transforming the world like you're talking about. I mean, it's been around for a long time and it's a, you know, it's it's not just the financing, but it's also the expertise that these individuals bring to these organizations that, you know, are so transformative.
1: That is correct.
0: So what what types of companies do venture capitalists find attractive and interesting? So like, and what do they care about the most? Are they they just go after any type of business, or are there certain sectors no, for that the most the most part, or what?
1: For the well, venture capitalists will finance a broad range of companies, but let me talk about where most of the money is invested. It's primarily invested in technology or healthcare. Now, occasionally, uh, uh, venture capitalists will back retailers uh, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you about one company that, uh, I turned down the company was in the home improvement business. And a friend of mine brought it to me, uh, named Ken Langone, who now is a very famous person. And, uh, the company, um, had started this facility in Atlanta and it was selling home improvement stairs uh, uh, you know, equipment and giving advice out of warehouses. Well, I brought in a person uh, who was a, a retail analyst at T. Rowe Price and another person who'd run a big retailing company. And they said this company would never work because they wanted to expand to California. And why would you go from Georgia to California? And they would never been able to duplicate the lease structure. So I wanted to do it, but my two partners or one of my partners really objected to it and we didn't. And we lost a chance to buy 10% of home club for a million dollars. Mm. So sometimes yeah. expertise is the two-edged sword. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And you get cut by it for sure. So that so okay, so if a company like Say somebody's like, I want to start up a, a plumbing company, or you I want to come to, to the a venture capitalist.
1: Uh, uh, if you want to start a home, uh, re, uh, you know, a real estate company, you don't go to venture capitalists. If you want to start a semiconductor, a medical device company, a uh, uh, software company, a computer service company, a healthcare service company, uh, you go to venture capital.
0: Just because of the scale, in the yeah, and line.
1: we're not about building small businesses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, uh, let me put it in perspective. NEA over its life has started two thousand companies that today have over two trillion in revenues. That's not billion; that's trillion with a T.
0: So, let me ask you this: How important is profitability then? Um, you know, our venture capitalists are just putting money in and they, they want just fast, rapid growth, regardless of the cost or does profitability matter and at what point?
1: It all depends on the nature of the business. Let's say you're starting a new health care service company and you have a radically new way of taking care of elderly people like the company we started called Elderly Health Bravo. It was eventually brought by Cigna. In that case, you want to have a healthcare format that can reach profitability relatively quickly. But if you're starting something like UUNet, you go a long time before you're necessarily profitable because you're doing a land grab. By that I mean, you know, you're putting up nodes in every country around the country, you're trying to get a customer base, you know, Facebook, Twitter all those companies were technology companies where you had to scale extremely rapidly, suffering losses for a large long time before you achieve profitability. Let me go back to that um, healthcare service company called Elder Health. We started that in our basement. We came up with the idea that we had to find a better way of taking care of the elderly population, the duly eligible. That's the people that have about, you know, uh, two to 10 years, eight years to live and maybe five or seven chronic diseases and account mm-hmm. for maybe one uh, half of healthcare spending. So we started out doing it as a facilities business, didn't work. It took a facility taking care of older people in that uh, three years to break even. We changed it to an HMO and that didn't work. And then we we brought in a new management and changed it into case management where we actively were taking the older people to primary care physicians. We were ensuring that they took their medicines And we were getting the family active involved uh, in the management of their lives, where basically the people involving the insurance were also actively managing that company's uh, uh, um, uh, care, the patient's care. Elder Health got to a $2 billion run rate. Uh, It went into Cigna that business today is probably $80 billion.
0: Wow. That's definitely- And uh, basically
1: the Robert Wood Johnson did a study of the business and said that we took out 65% of total human healthcare cost.
0: Wow. By managing the the last
1: three to five years of life more effectively. And also Mm -hmm. with better results for the patients. Because today, those patients uh, would ordinarily get stuck in a hospital, which is the worst, most expensive place to go. And you know how fun it is to stay in a hospital. Uh, sure. They can go to an emergency room or they can go to a, a nursing home. And I would not uh, wish that on my worst enemies.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what do you think are some challenges that venture capitalists face moving forward?
1: Uh, first of all, You know, it's always management, management, management. Do you have the right people to build the business? Mm -hmm. Second thing, is your business real? Or is it someone's dream of reality? Or is it a dream of reality that will come true 15 or 20 years from now, but will never happen today, which is often the case? And then you get into every type of management problem that you can encounter. Your president, you find out, has had an affair with his secretary and had run off. And you are now the CEO of the company. Good morning. Uh, that's why when a company was in trouble, which was always, I kept my iPhone beside my bed and woke up at 12 at 3 and 6 AM to check for messages. Um, You have production problems, you have marketing problems, you have sales problems, uh, you have technology problems. We had one partner who during the bubble had this communications backbone product, greatest thing in the world. It would speed up high-speed data communications. It was bought by Nortel. Um, we made, we put in like uh, $8 million and it was worth eight hundred million million seven months later. This was in the boom times of the internet. Unfortunately, Nortel eventually plugged in the equipment that they were making and it blew up. And Nortel stock dropped from 58 to 5 58 to 5 <laughs> Well, That was a big mistake for Nortel. Now, it's since recovered, but um, uh, that was a problem. But, but you know, the venture, venture capitalists, uh, we had to ha- have a long-term gain, so we didn't even get out. We got hurt just as Nortel did. That is a one-in-a-million story. Sure. And it only happens when um, the dogs are eating the dog food in a right.
0: bowl. Sure. But still, I mean, it still seems like the industry's fraught with challenges and I mean, and, and that's business in general. So if somebody's sitting here listening and listening and they're thinking, you know what, one day I would like to start my own venture capital firm. Um, what would you say to them based on your experience? And is it, is it overly saturated? Like, are, are there still opportunities for people to do well in venture capital?
1: There is more opportunity today than ever before. Technology is changing at a more and more rapid rate. It's also becoming harder and harder to understand. As long as people are creative and have courage, uh there will be opportunities and companies will be created. But getting into the business, now that's hard. Um, I was, got in an unusual way because my father had been a venture capitalist and I knew everyone in the business. And so I was hired by T. Rowe Price to put him into the business. That's a big investment management firm. T. Rowe Price decided that They couldn't give a equity incentive program like venture capitalists have. We get 20% of the gains to someone who worked for a big investment company because it would make jealousy with all the other people that ran conventional investment products. So I had to go out and do it on my own. And I brought on Frank Bonsell, who had helped get Alex Brown into the small company investment banking business and who knew the venture capital business like the back of his hand but what really made our nea was bringing on dick kramlick who was arthur's rocks company our partner and arthur rock was on the cover of time magazine uh he had started scientific data systems which helped to create the mini computer and was competitive with the digital equipment corporation Uh, and then he started helped to start Apple and Intel. So he was a legend. And Dick uh, gave us legitimacy and the group of investors who knew us well gave us 16 and a half million dollars uh, for our first fund. And that was the beginning. And I think the last NEA fund uh, was, they raised about $4 billion. And then they had a follow on fund for later stage investing of $4 billion. Remember these funds will take a long time to wind down, Sure, 10 or 20 20 years.
0: Yeah, Uh, You've
1: distributed 99.9% of the assets, but you have some things that just keep on living forever. And I've had cases where a partnership returned three times the money invested in the partnership with an investment that didn't get liquid for 15 years. Oh, wow. I was Payson and Trask, and the company was called uh, Waters Associates that created high-pressure liquid chromatography, an analytical instrument That's technology. That's interesting. So let, let's move on
0: um, and wrap things up. So before we end, um, tell me a little bit about your book, and um, why did you end up writing this book, uh, Dare to Serve the Universe?
1: I wrote... Um, this book, for the same reason I'm thanking you, uh, I think venture capital is very important. I took the ne- title of the book, Dare to the Universe, from a poem by T.S. Eliot that goes something like this In a room where women come and go, talking, Michelangelo, do I dare? Do I dare? Uh, do I care? to disturb the universe. So I wrote this book to say, hey guys, this is an important business. And of course the politicians are always out to cause problems. Right now there's justifiable reason for wanting to tax private equity more aggressively and eliminate capital gains treatment for carried Mm interest. That's the profit you get after you pay back all the limited partners money. But if you did that, you might dramatically hurt the venture capital business because if you have high fees, the venture capital business, uh, the rate of return is degraded too much. And so um, the, The incentive has been long-term capital gains. And um, you change that, you change the business. But it really is, the purpose of this book is to make people aware of what's going on often in their own backyard uh, that is going to change the way the world is done by a bunch of crazy people Oh, working out a venture capital
0: firms no that's great so i yeah i, I think um I, I love your just like your purpose and your your mission in life and and i agree you know venture capital and other forms of private equity um are so transformative in ways that other institutional capital is not it's not as transformative you know i Appreciate you coming on. And well, I don't. I don't
1: think, for example, that hedge funds deserve long-term capital gains treatment unless, you know, they're holding companies for long periods of time. And, um, uh, but, um, so I, not I've, all private equity is the same, and they don't. They shouldn't be treated the same.
0: Sure. But they should have different treatment. Yeah. Because right. there's because they're different business models altogether and different right. risk profiles and so you on and got so it. Yeah. Well, no, great. Well, Chuck, you know, like I said, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, great talking to you about venture capital, such an important industry and such an important, um, part of our economy and just our world. And, um, I just, I really enjoyed hearing your stories and, um, you know, he- hearing your expertise. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being a guest. And thanks for everybody joining us today on Boosting Your Financial IQ and learning more about venture capital.
1: Thank you so much uh, for giving me a little platform, and hopefully this will help some people.
0: Absolutely. I I think they're going to absolutely enjoy it. So thank you, Chuck. Thanks, everyone.
2: Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.